all very much. Thank you all for leading us in worship this morning and music, and um, look forward to hearing a bit more from you at the end. Good morning, church. Merry Christmas. Um, We've been talking for uh, the last few weeks about a little good news, just uh, a a little bit of good news. You know, um, the reason we've been talking about a little bit of good news is because the greatest news in the history of the universe came in this big a package. And it didn't even start there. It started in a microscopic package. It's little. It's good news. So we've been talking about a little bit of good news. Each week I've been trying to share with you something that, uh, that is some good news, a good news story from week to week. And Today I want to tell you about a family in England. This family planted that little tree back in 1978. Can you see the tiny tree there in front of their garage? Their town happens to be one of the few towns in Great Britain that doesn't have any streetlights. It's just dark at night. And in this particular town, that little tree has become a huge symbol, a huge statement for the rest of their community. So imagine this tree. It was planted in 1978. Every year, they took this picture on, the, uh, on the, the inauguration of it being planted. So this was the memory of, we planted a tree. They bought the house. They moved in. They planted a tree. I think they planted it a little too close to the driveway, and you'll see why in just a minute. But since 1978, they've been decorating that tree for Christmas. And most people ignored it at the beginning. It was a six-foot tree. And it was six and a half, and it was seven, and it was seven and a half, and it was not much of a tree. You know, you could touch the top of it. It wasn't a big deal. Well, during COVID, no one was allowed to kind of come out and wander around much in Great Britain. And so um, a tradition that's grown up around this tree got missed last year. But this Christmas, it was back. This Christmas, the tree, which now makes the house look small. The tree was celebrated by 2,000 of the people from the community around. This little thing, this, this bit of a start of a celebration that just began when this couple moved into town and planted a tree, has become the primary light in their village through the Christmas season. Remember, there are no street lights. And so when you come into this part of town, this tree lights up the area around their home and in their neighborhood. This was such a big deal to their neighbors this year that they literally paid for fireworks to be shot off during the Christmas tree lighting this year in their neighborhood. Their home literally has become the light of their neighborhood. Their home literally has become the reminder of Christ's birth in their neighborhood. Their home has literally become the symbol of the joy of Christmas in their whole town. I love this story. I love this story for what it has said and how it started. It wasn't a big start. It was not a very glorious start. It wasn't a start that anybody would have expected to end up this way. So if you're thinking about starting a tradition in your neighborhood, doing something new, doing something impactful, doing something different, it doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to go buy a 50-foot tree and put it out in front of your house. Plant one. 
Just start. Be the first person in your neighborhood to take cookies to the other neighbors. Be the first person in your neighborhood to, to hand deliver Christmas cards around to four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people in your neighborhood. Just start. You might become the symbol of Christmas in your neighborhood. Your arrival at the home bringing your Christmas card or your Christmas cookies might be the official beginning of Christmas for your neighborhood. I don't know. But I know that God is in what His people do. So bring your neighborhood a little good news. These are the folks. They've, uh, they've weathered a little as the tree's grown. They're retired now. But this has become a part of their mission to their town. Just to bring a little good news, a little light into a dark place. So as we celebrate the good news of Christmas, the good news of Jesus, remember it all started very small. It started so small that it was microscopic to begin with. We forget that all the power of the universe was not just in the little tiny package. It was in a microscopic package. Again, mind-blowing. And all of this started with what I want to talk about today, and that is what happens after yes. What happens after yes? There are several yeses in this story. The story of Jesus, the story of the, of, of the, 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 the beginning of a, a marriage, the beginning of a life between two people. This story we forget is a story of a family. And it's the story of how that family starts. Because a couple is a couple, but a child added to that couple becomes somehow a, a different kind of family. And when that child, that first child is born to the two of them, everything changes. But that all began with the yes. We, were at, we heard the story today. We heard it read today by Luke. I love that Luke was reading Luke. Thank you, Luke Childers. But the story starts out, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. You know how Matthew just throws it out there. It's like it happens every day. This is how the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Now I want you to stop for a second and dwell on the story behind this line. This means that at some point there in the village of Nazareth, a girl caught a boy's eye. You know? You know how this works, right? All you teenagers know how this works, right? Some of you, it's been a long time, but you still vaguely remember. A girl caught a boy's eye. And the boy started paying attention to the girl. If she is like most girls in the entire universe, she ignored him entirely, at least at the beginning. Until she realized he was actually paying attention. He watched her as she grew, and they grew up together. I don't buy the idea that this is Joseph's second wife. I think this is a theological addendum added during the Middle Ages that doesn't really fit with the biblical story. So, know where I stand. I think this is a young couple, a couple of young people. And that eventually he reached an age when he started thinking about marriage. And he went to talk to his father. And he spoke to his father about his interest in a girl. I can remember some phone calls from my sons. 
then he decided, they decided, that he should go talk to Mary's father. So imagine this guy, a little scared, palms sweaty, wearing his best tunic, walking up to the door, knocking on the door. You know those knocks you don't want to make that you just you can't bring yourself to really hit the door very hard? It, you're, you're tapping like a squirrel is at the door. Somehow it got heard inside. The door was answered. Mary's not surprised. Whether her father and mother are surprised, we don't know. But you have to get dad's permission in first century Judaism to do this next step. So he had to sit down with her father. Dads, how do you make that? When the boy comes to ask. My suggestion is, don't smile too much too fast. Let him sweat it out a little. Don't let him think you're just on his side from the beginning. Let him just kind of have to breathe a little. Someday I'll tell you the story of my asking Brenda's grandfather for her hand. Eventually the words got out of his mouth. I've noticed your daughter Mary. We've talked a couple of times. You've talked to my daughter. We have talked a couple of times. I'm interested in marrying her, would that be okay with you? Well, kid, how are you going to support my little girl? Well, I work as a carpenter. Uh, my father's trained me. I, I, can, I can do woodwork. I can do some stonework. I can actually cut some stone. Um, I, I, I do some construction in the area. Do you make any money at this construction, son? That's how I would have done it. Is she going to be able to eat? Well, yes, I, I do okay. I, you know, I, have, I have a little money saved up, and I'm, I've started already to, to, to save money so that I can prepare a place for us to live. Finally, his wife probably comes in and rescues the poor kid. Just leave him alone. Be nice. Just trying to find out if he's actually serious about this. And an agreement is reached. The first yes. Is from Mary's father. The story rotates around Mary's father's approval of this engagement. Man, I wish I knew all the influences of God and the angels in all of this. Where the Holy Spirit is moving in all these folks. Man, I want to see this videotape, but I want to see the backstory of the videotape. Mary is elated, apparently. The two of them are excited, and they start making the preparations. He, now having had the agreement with the father, is officially engaged, which in the first century in Judaism is almost like being married. And he goes home to prepare a place for them, to build a house. Don't forget that when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, it's a marriage proposal. It's an invitation home to his house, away from yours and the brokenness that's in him to one that's perfect. He goes and he prepares a place. We don't know where in this story the next step happens. We don't know where in the story the next piece of the textual story happens. Luke picks it up in chapter 1 and he says, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, the unmarried girl who is engaged. 
Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. I always think this is the wildest illustration. How do you, how do you respond to an introduction like that, ladies? An angel appears, which ought to freak you out already. And then he says, Oh man, things are great for you. Rejoice, O highly favored one. Blessed are you among women. Where did Luke get the story? Where does Luke get this quote? Did Luke just make this up? Remember, Luke is a researcher. Remember, Luke has gone to the people who know the story to learn about the story so he can tell it to Theophilus. The most likely place that Luke gets this quote is from the woman into whose brain it has been seared. Don't you think if an angel spoke to you, you might remember what he said? Gabriel spoke to her and filled her heart and her mind with, oh, wow, what a greeting. In the room, I don't know, in her house, where she was by herself, out in the yard, out in the garden, out working, he finds her by herself, and this is the way he meets her there in Nazareth. Confused and disturbed. I gave you a, a, a little bit of a more modern picture of it because the the, the story just, the, we get a lot of times from the Latin that she's just a little nervous or scared. The, the real deeper kind of picture, she's confused, she's disturbed. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you be? Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Because he hasn't said anything yet. Just you're highly favored. You're blessed. It's awesome. What's about to happen to you is great. Okay. Now what? The angel starts to tell her. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel said. How would you, how would you respond if an angel came into your house and knew your name? The angel told her, you have found favor with God. And behold... I'm trying. Okay, Scotty. Help a brother out. There we go. And behold, this is the part. I, I've never been a girl. I have to admit it. Never even felt like a girl. And behold, you will conceive. Now, girls, just with your eyes, please. Help me out with this. Behold, you found favor with God. Mary, you will conceive. You're just staring at me. Nobody's helping. How do you respond? Thank you. One person, finally. Wow. Oh, no. I think you'd have a hundred different emotions at this moment. That's cool, maybe kind of, in the right context. What do you mean by that? How is that going to happen? I know, maybe that's a thing, but what do you mean? Behold, you will conceive in in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He's going to save the people. You'll call him the name, the traditional name, Yeshua, this 
this name that has always been laid out there as a messianic name for the one who will save his people. You're going to have a kid. <clears throat> Probably not big news. Yet, and you're going to call him the Savior. You're going to give him the name of Moses' sidekick. You're going to call him Yeshua. You're going to call him Jesus. All right, guys. Somehow I just lost everything and got to 10. There we go. Okay. I'm just going to rely on you, Scott. Okay? Thank you. He will be great. Your kid's going to be great. Now, as a dad, I like this part because I can understand this. If, if an angel came to my house and said, hey, your wife's going to have a kid, he's going to be great. I'm going to be like, yes, I didn't want to lose her kid. He will be great. Then the next line, he will become the, called the son of the most highest. Depending on how you take this, this could be, you could, be, you could normalize this. Great, okay, my kid's going to be a follower of God. He's going to be such a close follower of God. You're going to call him his son. It's, it's great. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. This just got prophetic in this statement. Do you, do you understand? Do you, we don't let the story get where the story's going. Because you just have heard the story too many times. Here is a girl who is yet to be married. An angel appears. That should be a big deal. That should be a shocking, really amazing thing. The angel begins to talk to her. You're going to have a child. You're going to name him the Savior. And oh, by the way, he's going to be called the Son of the Most High. And oh, by the way, he's also going to fulfill the long-awaited prophecy of the Messiah. That's what that next line means. Their son is going to be the Messiah. That's what it means that he will sit on the throne of his father, David. This is not, uh, this is not always going to be king. This is the long-awaited prophecies about the Messiah will be fulfilled in your child. A weight just fell on her chest. She's still kind of blown away, sweaty-palmed, dry mouth, wild about what's going on right now. But he will be called the Messiah. He's going to be the one who sits on David's throne. Can you give me another one? And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? Forever. Now, you're, you're a, a teenage girl. How old are you ladies? 16. 16. Good, we've got to change. Okay, in this range. You're probably in this range. 15, 14, 15 to 17, 18. No later than 18 is an old maid. So in the, in the first century, not now. <laughs> not now. Finish college. 18 would have been considered too late to start thinking about marriage. So probably somewhere in that 14 to 17 range. This is the young woman. Now, it's, it's a different girl. She's in the first century. People expect things of her. She's probably got some other things, some maturity levels going that we don't have in our times. But this is a big, shocking story. Stop sitting on your hands about this story. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. 
If you didn't get the forever the first time, there will be no end of his kingdom. This baby you're about to have is the Messiah, eternal, forever Messiah, king on David's throne, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecies, fulfilling Daniel's prophecies, all those huge, big picture things you've been told all your life. You've been going to synagogue, going to synagogue, going to synagogue, going to synagogue, and they've been talking about these messianic prophecies. They read through them every year. They tell you what's going to happen every year. Lady, it's you! thousand years have passed and we've been telling this story and everybody's like yeah okay so what i'm gonna go sit back down can you give me verse 34 mary speaks so far it's been a monologue by gabriel and then mary speaks how can this be since i have not known a man I haven't even gotten married yet. I'm still, I'm still just betrothed. I'm engaged, but this hasn't happened yet. How are we going to get ahead of this biological necessity, sir? Verse 35. The angel replied, <laughs> like this is normal. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. <laughs> I just want to stop there and go. Say that again. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Is it any clearer yet? All he's just said is something miraculous is going to happen, which she probably knew already. Here's the process. The Spirit of God's going to come on you. The power of God, the presence of God, the Most High Himself will overshadow you. And the baby that is to be born will be holy. You're 15. You're 17. And this is the message you're getting from Gabriel, who stands next to God in the Holy Holies, just one day, just on a normal Thursday. He will be called the Son of God. Sweetheart, we can't do this the normal way. This isn't about biology. This is about theology. Theology is about to become a big part of your life, honey. Because what's about to happen in you is a miraculous implantation of the divine into the human. And oh, by the way, if you agree to this, it's going to change your life. The implications start running through her mind. Hold on now. How am I going to tell my mom? What am I going to tell Joseph? Look, uh, what did you say your name was again? Gabe? Yeah, okay. There's going to be a lot of explaining that goes along with this on my side, right? You, you, you know, right? Give me the next text. Whatever went through her mind, whatever questions she had, the Bible just records one simple thing. She said yes. 
Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May, not the next word, everything. May everything you have said about me come true. I'm about to conceive. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Somehow God is going to overshadow me. And the one who will be born will be called the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. And he will be holy. And oh, by the way, he will be called the Son of God. Not Joseph's son. God's son. Okay, that sounds like a deal. May everything you've said come true. This is a much bigger yes than most any other in the whole of the Bible. Don't you, don't you think so? This is a much bigger yes than anyone else has ever been asked to give, I think. And Mary simply says, yes. Here's the point I want to give you. Faith is born on the other side of yes. When God calls you, when God challenges you, when God speaks to you, and He draws you to do something that's a little scary to you, this surely was a little scary. A little different, a little hard for you to understand. And he says, oh yeah, God's going to be involved, the Holy Spirit's going to be involved, there's going to be an overshadowing of God in your life, and it's going to change everything for you, and the implications start to roll through your mind maddeningly fast. And in the midst of that sweaty palm, dry mouth, scared to death moment, a 15-year-old girl says, okay. I'm in. I'm in. Let everything you've just described come true. I'm in. I'm in 100%. Whatever happens next, I'm in. And she stepped off into an abyss she couldn't see the bottom of and couldn't imagine the depths of. She stepped off into a story that she couldn't yet understand it all. She stepped off into experience after experience after experience after experience that would encourage and frighten her. And she began to walk with God <laughs> that is laced with miracles. You see, the next guy, the next opportunity for a yes in the story is a man named Joseph. She has come to him, somebody has come to him, probably her, and said, uh, Joseph, I need to tell you something. Mary, it's so good to see you. What, 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 do, you need, what, do, you, what, what do you need to tell me? I've got her house almost ready. We can have the wedding in just any day now. I mean, as soon as your father approves of the house, we can have the wedding and it'll be wonderful. You want to see the house? Yeah, I do, but that's something really important to say. An angel visited me. A what? An angel visited me. Oh, you said an angel, right? Yeah, messenger from God visited me Thursday. Wait, you're saying, you're saying an angel of God, like the ones that spoke to, to Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets, an angel of God came to your house and talked to you. Yeah, he did. 
Well, I'd be a lot more excited if an angel came and talked to me. I, I am pretty excited, but I have something really important to tell you. Well, what do you need to tell me? Come on, tell me. What did the angel say to you? What happened? What was that like? Was it glowing like everybody says? Did, were you scared like everybody says? Just, I just need to tell you something. The angel said that I would conceive. And so I think I'm pregnant. Your wife. What do you mean? What do you mean the angel? An angel talked to you. Come on, Mary. Be straight with me. What happened? Well, I told you an angel came and he said that the, the Spirit of God would rest on me and that I would, I would, I would would have the Messiah. Wow. <laughs> I really don't know what to say to you right now. Um, why don't you go home? I'll think about it. The Bible says he was a good man. So he had it in his heart to put her aside quietly. You know what put her aside quietly means, right? It's going to be one of those quiet divorces. You don't really hear about it. Or suddenly you find out they're not together anymore. It's like that. And it would be a divorce because once you were betrothed, you were married as far as everybody was concerned. And so what he was about to do was end the marriage as far as anyone was concerned. Because she just told him that she's going to have a baby and he knows it's not his. And this Holy Spirit story is a little hard to swallow. If you're not following the facts, if you're not catching the undercurrents of this story, you miss you miss all of the acts of faith in it. And it just becomes a fairy tale and it stops being a real story of real people. Joseph's ready to end the marriage. He's ready to stop the whole deal. And he's asleep. And Gabriel, who's kind of busy in this story, shows up at his house. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your bride. The child that is conceived in her is of God. Okay, guys. We spoke to the ladies. Fellas. You're engaged to be married, girlfriend slash wife. Comes and says, an angel showed up and I'm pregnant. I've heard of a lot of ways to get pregnant. That's not one of them. And then in the middle of your night, you're sleeping. You're just kind of trying to get over what's happening to you. You can't believe it. You're starting to think about who's second best girl in the village. And you have a house. Gabriel shows up. Joseph, wake up. She told you the truth. It's, it's true what's happening right now to you and to her. And Joseph, buddy, I need you to play second fiddle. I need you to be willing 
to be the father of a child that is not yours. I need you to deal with all of the sideways glances of everyone you will meet who knows the story. I need you to take Mary into your life and deal with the stuff that's going to come your way and her way. I need you to be a barrier between her and the people in this little village. I need you to be strong for her. I need you to be the man in her life who holds her in such high esteem that no one has a question about her integrity. But they're going to question yours. Because no one's going to buy this story. And he said, yes. Faith comes on the other side of the yes. I know it takes faith to give the yes. It takes yes. That yes is a, is a faith statement. And to make that is a big deal. But the walk of faith that comes after that, think about it. Mary's life ended, ends up in this amazing, growing pattern as she is discovering what God is doing with her. Over the next several months, she will go to her, her, her aunt, her cousin Elizabeth's house, who is unable to have a child and she's going to walk into the house and she's six months around. She's got, it's a volleyball, it's not a basketball yet, but she's got a volleyball in there and it's no question that she's about to have a baby. And the baby, by the way, that's inside her is going to start doing gymnastics when when Mary shows up and she's going to repeat what the angel says, you are blessed among women. And there's going to be this whole story of Zechariah and what happened in the temple and the fact that Gabriel was there too, hanging out. You saw Gabriel? I saw Gabriel. What was Gabriel like to you? Uh, He's having to write all that down, right? And story after event after story after event pours out of this yes. Miracle after miracle pours out of this yes. He came for you. And he still comes. He came at the right time and his timing in your life is still perfect. And on the other side of your yes, of whatever it is he's challenging you with today, is the miracle walk of faith that he wants for you next. He wants the yes. And the yes will take you to places you didn't imagine going. It may cost you some things that you didn't expect to have to pay. But the miracle of your growing faith will happen on the other side of your yes. What is God challenging you to do today? Is He challenging you to be the star of the show? Is He challenging you to play second fiddle to somebody else who should be the star of the show? I mean, it's, 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 it's very visible to us today. They say the hardest seat in the orchestra is second fiddle. Joseph got to be the stepdad. You know that, right? Joseph got to be the stepdad (laughs) to the Messiah. Not so horrible. Joseph and Mary also got to have the responsibility of raising a child that they knew was the son of 
God. I mean, parenting is scary. Parenting this child is off the charts. I don't think anybody in here is being asked as hard a question as Mary or Joseph got yesterday. But I do know that on the other side of every yes is the walk of faith. Every time we say yes to God, He takes us by the hand and He walks us down the road where faith grows, where our faith gets stronger. In the surrender of my will to God's will is where my faith grows. In the willingness to trust Him over my own own ideas. When God calls you to something difficult, what do you do? Are you the analytical person? Are you want, are you, do you go over the facts and figures with God? Do you sort of analyze it? Well, God, I brought up my chart. Here's what I'm thinking. If I say yes to you, this is the impact on the next 30 days. And here's how I see it's going to affect my bottom line financially. And here's, here's what I have questions about for you. If, if, if you tack that, what's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen? Am I, am I going to have to move? Is this going to affect my house? Am I going to have to pack up all my stuff and move into some little shanty somewhere? God, are you really wanting that for me? I don't think you would want to do that. And you just go through the analytics. Are you the analytical person? Or are you just the fear person? She's just like, whoa, 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 come on, don't, don't ask me to do something. That's really scary to me, God. I don't really want to go there. I, I don't know if I can handle it. I, you start asking me to do stuff that I, I don't want to do. And I'm just, she's, look at me, I'm hyperventilating right now. Do you think I can do this and not just freak out? It's happened before. Lord. I don't talk very well. I stutter. Uh, send somebody else. Moses, who made your lips? <laughs> I love the answer from God. Who made your lips? But God, I'm scared. Send my brother. It'll be a second best, Moses, but I'll send your brother. God is so graceful that he will allow us to affect his choice. I don't even know how I imagine that. I don't know how to get my head around that. I don't know what's standing between you and your yes right now. Your yes may be to commit yourself to Christ. You may be sitting here today saying, the only thing I'm feeling right now is God is saying, jump in and Join. Be part of the family. That may be your yes. You need to get that yes done, man. You need to get on that ride. It'll be awesome. Join the family of believers. Stand up in front of a group of people and say, yep, I'm in. And I'm scared to death about it, but I'm in. Or I figured out what the cost is and tithe seems like craziness to me, but I'm in. Maybe your yes is God is calling you to a mission that you don't want to do. Maybe God is calling you to service that you don't want to get engage in. Maybe God is calling you away from something you're very comfortable in. On the other side of that yes is the walk of faith. Just say yes. He's come at the right time.
his timing is never wrong. He's come to the right place. He knows your address. And he's come for you. Let's pray. Father, I am continuously amazed at this story. 